Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 78. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzama, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Doc. Hello, Christina. How are you? Fantabulous. Oh, good. <laughs> this wonderful, cool weather coming down, up and down the coast here. Isn't it brilliant? Oh, my gosh. We're so lucky here. It is brilliant, but it's starting to get a little too cold for me, but I get excited about it because as soon as it starts getting cold, then we can get through uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and then it's summer. <laughs> so I'm right on course right now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your host along with Christina as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. Today's going to be a very important topic for us because it really does have to do with optimal health. We have with us um, Michael Harris, who uh, I originally met when I was working in emergency medicine. He was chief of uh, Santa Barbara's uh, emergency medical services, uh, and he does a lot of work in public health. And now he's the uh, Director of Government Affairs for CENCAL Health, which we're going to talk about. But we're basically going to be talking about a new law that's come into effect that everybody's talking about. And we want to uh, give everyone information that's good information from Magical Medical Tour to help people in figuring out what's going on uh, with healthcare insurance today. And I think that there will probably be some people wanting to ask some questions. So, Christina, why don't you tell us how to uh, call in or write in a question for Michael? Absolutely. Thanks, Len. Um, At any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into that comment box. Be sure to click submit so that I can read it out to our guest or Dr. Woolman. Or if you prefer to dial into our conference line and ask it directly yourself, the number is 323-476-3997 and your ID is 607-393-POUND. If that went by a little too fast, not to worry. It will show up on the screen during this presentation. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you, Christina. So, uh... Without further ado, I would like to introduce to our audience Michael Harris, a good friend of mine and colleague who I've known for many years. Uh, Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Christina. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's an honor for us. And what it's timely. It's very timely. There's so much to learn. There is a lot to learn. There's a lot going on. We hear a lot about it in the uh, news. Most of that is around the political stuff, but maybe we can get down to uh, some discussion around what essentially, not what essentially, but what is the law right Mm -hmm. now and how we're moving forward on that. Mm. Yes, that's right. Uh, The first thing I want to ask, though, Michael, just to be clear and transparent, is it says on your card that you're the director of government affairs. And I know we have a lot of affairs in our government. <laughs> what, is, what is your actual role in that? Uh, well, yeah, I, I stay out of the individual affairs. What my responsibility here at CENCAL Health, which is a managed uh, medical provider plan, like an HMO for people on Medicaid, and here in California we call it Medi-Cal. So I work a lot with state representatives and federal representatives as you look to try to implement new things into healthcare, 
what's the local impact. So we look, so my job is to basically liaison and work particularly with our legislative representatives in both the state and up on Capitol Hill in Washington to keep them informed about how things are going at a local level. It's very easy for them to get sort of segregated or removed from reality in many cases. Boy, that's true. <clears throat> so I, the way I see it in our country, we, are, we have a great process that goes on. It always starts with we the people uh, in our Constitution. We the people get to go and vote, and we elect and vote for our representatives in the legislative branch of uh, government, which is the Congress, which includes the House of Representatives and the Senate. We vote for people in the executive branch, uh, which is the president and vice president. And we we vote for some judges, but we don't really vote for the uh, Supreme Court justices. They are uh, nominated through the president and approved through the Congress. So basically, uh, in March of 2010, our elected officials got together and developed something called, and it's very important to think of the title because it gets, it gets uh, marketed in a different way. But the actual title is called Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. This is what Congress put together to help our uh, people in our country with health insurance. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Once they, once they created this, they sent it to the president, who either has the choice of agreeing with it or disagreeing with it or uh, ignoring it. But he agreed with it and signed it into law. And this became a law in March of 2010, uh, as I understand it. So now the, there are certain people that will find things that are potentially unconstitutional. So it goes before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices rule on it, and they say this is a constitutional act. And so now it is the law of our land, and we have to abide by it. So, Michael, what I would like to do is take us on a stepwise uh, journey through this whole process. First, you could tell us maybe why this came into effect, why we needed this in terms of what our country's doing uh, monetarily and costs, et cetera. And then we will move sure. into the law itself, and then we'll figure out how to help people find out about it. So go for it, Michael. Well, and, and let me continue, Glenn, a bit on the uh, constitutionality issue, because it's really interesting. Justice Roberts, uh, the chief justice, said uh, to the court, basically, uh, this is a constitutional law. It's sort of a silly one, one that I don't necessarily like, but it, you know, being a law that I don't like doesn't make it unconstitutional. What the court did say, though, which is very important, is that the federal government could not force every state to participate, which was part of the original law. The original law had all 50 states participating in the Affordable Care Act, but um as we'll talk about, the states must match certain federal funding with their own dollars. And the court said, you can't really force the state to do that. So what we ended up with was uh, some states participating with the federal government and developing their own uh, state health plan. And in California, where we're at, it's called Covered California. Those states that didn't want to participate 
use what's called the federal exchange. So a lot of times you'll hear on the news talking about the federal exchange. A lot of discussion right now about how the federal exchange website where you actually go in. So if you're part of Georgia, for example, and I'll, you can just pick any of the states that don't participate. But if you're part of a state that doesn't participate, you go to the federal exchange, and there's been a lot of technical issues and a lot of criticism of that website, which at first was attributed to the very big demand as it's now going on. There's some there's some technical issues that they need to not only address, but are, 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 are fairly embarrassing for everyone that uh, is trying to move this forward. So that still has to get figured out, but we can we can talk a bit about that. So, so the question, Glenn, is how did we get here? And if we want to sort of talk about the overall American healthcare system, the United States healthcare system, the first thing we have to recognize is that we are an outlier internationally and in that we are the only industrialized nation without a real healthcare system, a, uh, an organized system from the part of government that says this is the way the thing, the, this is the way it works. It's been more of a free market approach, which for years had a lot of very positive aspects to it. I mean, clearly, um, as a physician, Glenn, you've seen the advancement in technology and how things have advanced uh, as far as when, when, when I was a paramedic and we used to see patients, the different equipment and the huge leaps and advances of technology. And that generally occurs because you've got a free market and people are um, investing money into those advances. One of the downsides, though, is the cost of healthcare. Maybe if we can pull up some slides and we can talk about these, we'll be able to talk about how healthcare in this country has cost. I'm going to first give a, an amazing amount of kudos to a wonderful organization that we read a lot of their material. It's called the California Healthcare Foundation. Um, the California Healthcare Foundation is easy to Google. They have a tremendous number of uh, resources and sort of technical reports. But what we're going to do is look over some pretty easy bar graphs. And this stuff is online too, as well. And uh, it deals with healthcare costs. So the first, this first one, we'll sort of focus on, I'll give everyone some numbers here so they can see it. But the first chart here represents healthcare spending in the United States. And this is between 1961 and 2011. And then the far right bar is a projected for 2021. And what we see is that we started off in healthcare spending in 1961 at about 20, 29 billion, that's with a B, at 29 billion dollars in the United States. Last uh, 2011 report had us at what, what you'll read as 2,701 billion, which translates to 2.7 trillion dollars. So we've gone from 29 billion to 2.7 trillion dollars in those in that short span of time. That is projected to almost double by 2021. By 2021, we're going to look at 4.7 trillion dollars in healthcare spending. There's not very many people that don't recognize that is an unsustainable path and that we really have to look at how we're going to address that. That's where a lot of the debate comes in. Of course, those are in real dollars. So if we look at our next slide, we're going to look at health, health spending as a share of the GDP of the gross domestic product. And that's the amount of goods. GDP is the amount of goods created in this country. And again, we go from 1961 at being about 
And to the 2011, that's more than tripled to 2011 of being 17.9%. Again, as this eats up more of your GDP, your gross domestic product, it's taking money out of the rest of the economic system, and it creates problems in economic growth because you can't just grow on a service industry like healthcare. What we see is in 2021, that's liable to go from the current of about 17.9% of GDP to about 19.5% or 19.6% in 2021. So the growth continues, and again, it's recognized as being unsustainable. We can't continue down this path. Just a couple more geeky slides if everyone wants to put up with it for a minute. The next they are deal- geeky. I, I have to say they are geeky, but, <laughs> but really, I know they're really, really important. <laughs> it does it. What it does is it represents that if you are if you are a, a, a worker in the United States, you're starting to spend more and more of your pocket money, the money out of your pocket towards health care. And this is probably the last one that we really need to look at. Uh, we may skip to the very last one, but let's look at the health spending per capita. This will be the third slide. And it's not easy to read, but what you basically see is, again, the continued growth when compared the United States, which is the far right chart, which is the health spending per capita. And as a share of the GDP, when you look at the share of the GDP, which is, again, going back to 17.7%, that puts the United States well on the right-hand column, well ahead of everyone else. The important part of this, though, is $8,500 per capita of everyone goes towards healthcare costs. And if we just look at some of the other other countries, we can see that it I mean the next closest country is Switzerland and that's 5643. So then we look at the personal healthcare spending adjusted for inflation and again we see that we continue to rise and that there's a lot of cost increases as you go from left to right. And then let's just skip to the last chart and we'll sort of wrap this up. And the last chart is this line um, of major programs as a share of the federal budget. And this always surprises a lot of people. The red line on the top is defense. And we can see that back in 1971, which is the beginning of this chart, it was just about 38% of the share of the federal budget was defense, and it's now down to 20%. The entitlement programs, Social Security, have gone, have remained somewhat steady. They're now at 20% from uh, 1971, where they were about 17%. The two direct health care costs we see, though, is Medicare, which has quadrupled from 4 to 16%, and Medicaid, which is what we're going to be talking about a little bit with the Affordable Care Act, which has gone from about 2 or 3% to about 8%. So the bottom two we see are health care costs as part of the federal budget, and they have continued to expand rapidly. So what we have, the big problem in this country is health care costs for individuals, and for government. It's eating up more and more of your individual pocketbooks and of the government pocketbooks. That's how we got here to where some action needs to be taken. That was great. Even even as geeky as it was, I'm impressed that you know it and we're able to express we it very well. Hour, if we had a two-hour show, I could even show you more charts, but then you, <laughs> then you would be shutting me off. Uh, yeah, there's sometimes, you know, I... It's almost when sometimes I'm reading a legal brief or 
Um, going back to certain classes I took in medical school, you, it puts you into a very meditative state. <laughs> Pre-sleep, you might call it. <laughs> I got to tell you, I love charts and graphs, so they work really well with me. <laughs> and that's why I like you. <laughs> Does that mean but, I'm really geeky now? <laughs> now? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, so it really defines, though, what's happening to all of us and everyone that's watching here in the United States is you are spending more and more of your money, your government, at the particularly the state and the federal levels, are spending more and more of their money into health care. If you're an employer, there's lots of pressures on you if you're helping employees with their health insurance because those costs keep getting going up. You're either paying for it out of your own pocket as a business or you're, or you're pushing those costs onto your employee, which continues to increase their costs. So something sort of has reached a threshold here. As a way of trying to address that, we then developed the uh, in this country, which as, as uh, Glenn uh, spoke about at the beginning, was passed through Congress signed by the president, determined to be constitutional by the United States Supreme Court, and that's the Affordable Care Act, which is now under, uh, is now being implemented as enrollment. Mm. Yeah, and that's where we want to start going right now. First of all, what is the law that we have to worry about in terms of breaking the law? Well, it starts off fairly minor, and if you're trying to run a health plan, get back to a little bit of the geeky side, but not too much. Uh, if you're trying to run a health plan, what you really want are healthy people as a strong mix into the sick people. So parts of the Affordable Care Act, which are already in place, are that you can cover your children, your dependents, up to age 26. That's already going on. So, in fact, that has in increased some of the health care premiums that people may pay through health insurance. But previously, as a society, people often between college and until they got a got job in which provided health insurance were simply uninsured. So things like that have already taken place. You can't be denied for a pre-existing condition already in place. That's really important. Really, really important. Really important. I mean, we all have friends, and we can speak to the examples of people that couldn't get health care because they had a history of uh, prostate cancer or breast cancer, or they would get unilaterally just dropped from a plan because of a pre-existing condition or a condition that had developed. And, um, you know, before, before you go on yeah. for a second, just to say, we hear those words, but when, when we're in the actual medical profession and we're talking with people that are going through the heartache of of having a condition that they can't be covered for and the panic that goes through them in this country or to have mm -hmm. a, a child that might have a, a disorder that's going to require an incredible amount of medication over a lifetime and being dropped from a an insurance company the heartache and the fear and the angst that goes into that I think that's why this name is such a great name the patient protection and Affordable Care Act. That's what this is about. And it's really important to keep that in mind. Is it perfect? Maybe not. Did we need a change? Definitely. Will it be the final? Probably not. But we know that there will be certain good people out there, smart people that like it and, and appreciate it and work with it. There will be certain people out there that appreciate it but recognize some of the faults and will work diligently to improve on those. 
And then there will be other people that will try to game the system and make changes around that. And because of that, there's a probable guarantee that this will change. But for now, this is the law. Continue, Michael. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's it's a great you know great point though, Glenn, that you bring up. You know, the number one cause of of, of bankruptcy in this country is medical expense, and uh, you can't be dropped now. Uh, for example, for um, having uh, there's no lifetime cap on medical expenses. So, of course, as as a health plan ourselves, you look at those type of things and you say, well, that increases your costs. If you have people with catastrophic illnesses, and we we in the in the government Medicaid part of this, we don't have lifetime caps, but we we absorb those costs historically. But in private insurance, you know, now you've got to pay for that through your insurance plan. Yes, that will increase your costs. And it's easy to criticize stuff like that until you have a catastrophic illness and you would have otherwise, if not for this uh, current law, the Patient Protection and Affordability Act, the, you would have been dropped and gotten a letter from your insurance plan that would have just simply said, we're no longer covering you. So it's got some downsides to it. The, the, long, the, the individual penalties, if you will, is you want to basically make people participate because it's easy to say, well, that's unconstitutional. You can't make people get health care. Well, the reality is, as individuals, you're paying for people's health care because they're uninsured. In emergency medicine, when you see patients and they say, I don't have insurance, uh, somebody's got to pay the bills. You know, the, the emergency departments and the emergency medical system that you and I worked in, Glenn, is, is woefully inefficient, but it's always there because you need it 24-7. And when people are accessing that as their primary healthcare delivery system, it is accessing the most expensive system in medical care. So... You make the part of the law is that people must get health care by 2014 health care insurance, or they face a penalty. They face a penalty of $95 or 1% of their income, whichever is greater. So that's the first, that's the first year penalty. When you move into the second year to in 2014 and beyond, you start looking at 609, I have to look at my notes, but $695 a person or 2.5% of their income, whichever is higher. So it starts increasing the levels of penalties because you have to have everyone participate. If you don't participate, then, and of course, most of the people that don't want to participate are those people who believes are otherwise healthy. You know, the, the people in their 20s who graduated from college and nothing ever happens to me, yet as, as you and I know, Glenn, in emergency medicine, we see those people all the time, or I used to see those people all the time from trauma, from car accidents, from falls, from other things. So it makes the law that everyone has to get health insurance. That's the biggest thing on the individual level. Uh, and I want to add to that, um, I think uh, that the emergency medicine is woefully, what, what did you say, inefficient? Yes. Um, I think from a medical point of view, I mean, from a medical point of view, I think it's brilliant. From a financial Absolutely. point of view, it's clearly inefficient. Uh, the thing I that, agree completely. The thing that I think that people start trying to manipulate within the process of saying, well, and you alluded to this, well, you know, if it's going to only cost me $95, it, buying the insurance would be much more than that. So it's cheaper for me just to pay the uh, the fine. But what, 
And what risk you're taking, which you did allude to, is that you may get into a car accident tomorrow and be paralyzed from the neck down, and then that theory doesn't work anymore. Correct, correct. So, yeah, it's just... when you're younger, you don't have a tendency to look at the broader view. And it's really year two into 2015 that this starts getting to be 2.5% of your of your salary. And you then still have to get insurance. You you pay a fee, what they call a fee. It's really a penalty, but you pay a fee for not having insurance, but then you're still going to be on the hook for getting insurance. So right. um, and you can so so that's that's the upfront penalty. Some of the some of the penalties around businesses have been deferred in two until 2015 uh, to help with the small business exchange um, and and helping smaller businesses. And there's a litany of of recipes for tax deductions for smaller businesses, people under uh, 50, under 25 employees, under 10 employees with lower salaries, and essentially with some somebody that has very few number of employees and their lower salaries, you can get like a 50% tax uh, deduction under your business for getting those insurance. On the business side, I would also say that, you know, those are the type of things that smart employees look at is when you go to get a job, it's not just about um, the salary. It's about what are the benefits. And you can you can help employees by having by help having them get insurance through the business exchange. And that makes you more attractive as an employer as opposed to the ones who don't get any don't get any insurance from anybody. Michael you know, when we hear about this act, how many people is this actually affecting? If you have health insurance right now, does this affect you? Who are the, what That's, percentage of people in our country are is this act actually uh, catering to? It's it's really designed for the um, U.S. citizen. And that's that's an important point because in the political world there was a lot of questions about uh, providing health insurance for people here who are here illegally. But it's really targeting and going to the people who are here as legal residents and who are U.S. citizens or naturalized citizens uh, who are uninsured. Some of the fear mongering and a lot of the misinformation was going around uh, people who are on Medicare. You're going to get rid of Medicare. It doesn't affect Medicare. If you're on Medi-Cal or Medicaid in another state in the United States, if you're on Medicaid, it doesn't affect you. Matter of fact, many of the Medicaid benefits are actually expanding and making it a better plan as opposed to a very, very limiting plan. So if you have private insurance, which 85% of of people have through their employer, um, it doesn't affect you. The, the the end result is that people who are well may end up spending a little bit more. Senior citizens are probably going to get improved drug coverage and a little bit less cost. And the people who had no access to health care because you've just finished college and you're working in a you know sports store or restaurant, you can apply online for uh, the the healthcare that is is a competitive market that's managed by the government, and I think that's a good thing to talk about. Is what do people do when they enroll into the healthcare system? Before we get to that, and we are definitely going to get to that right now. We hear about this thing called a window of enrollment. Correct. What does so, that mean? 
so what happens is if you if you have been employed by somebody, they usually have uh, the exact same thing. You have your open enrollment period, and they your HR department sends you an email and sends you a package and says between this date and this date is your opportunity to enroll for your health care and your retirement or your you know or whatever four hundred one k and all that stuff. So you sign up for a bunch of different things. Right now. Starting in October, you can enroll into the health care, into the Affordable Care Act if you don't have insurance. So people are able to go to healthcare.gov, and that is probably the number one site. And they've got a site that answers a bunch of questions. And if you're in an individual state, you can it'll take you to a state site like California if you've got if if that state's running its, its own exchange. If you are in a state that doesn't, that's not participating in this, it will guide you through the federal system. But right now, for, through October, all the way into March of 2015, is the enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. That's where you can go online. You can make phone calls to people here in California. You can you can either go online or you can talk to your local Department of Social Services, or you can call, in our case, Covered California on a toll-free number, and they will walk you through the system. If you want to have coverage, so coverage actually physically starts on January 1st, and if you want coverage, you really have from now until December 15th. So there's been a lot of press about what it really has been a not very well-functioning federal healthcare website, healthcare.gov. They really have uh, to get that cleaned up, but it's not like you have just this month or only a couple of weeks. You, if you want to have your coverage that starts on January uh, January 1st, then you have until December 15th. At that point, all the information gets loaded up, and then your health policy starts on January 1st. If you miss if you miss the December 15th, that's not to freak out about. You just probably won't have coverage on January 1st, and they're going to keep this open enrollment period till mid-March of 2015. What you have to worry about with yourself is usually, well, I'll just do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. It's worthwhile to start getting into it now and start enrolling now. So those are it's right now is the open enrollment period. And you said it goes through March of 2015. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Again, if you want to have coverage, which becomes effective on January 1st, do it now and get enrolled by December 15th. And then you can imagine all that data has to get shifted. And we're a perfect example. We will be getting an upload of massive amount of new enrollees into our program at the end of December, right around Christmas time. So our IT people will be loading up the new members into our system here for Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo counties. Mm. And and this is only for individuals who do not have any sort of insurance. Is that correct? Correct. I think one of the things you can do, and this is the way I explained it to people, is if you are currently self-employed, and you you have your own insurance, and you can go onto the marketplace and see how that, those plans compare to your current plan. Mm-hmm. For example, you may have a very high deductible plan because it's affordable for you in your current private insurance. There's nothing to stop you from going online, looking through the existing website, and saying, wow, for pretty much the same plan, I can get it much cheaper, or, hey, guess what? I sort of like the plan I've got now, so I'll stay with the plan I've got now. Mm -hmm. So 
The one that you really don't have to worry about, again, is if you currently are covered under Medicaid or in California Medi-Cal. If you have Medicare, which is the federal program for seniors and people with disabilities, if you have those, it's not touching you. If you have private insurance through your employer, don't worry about it. You're just going to keep doing your thing. If you have your own insurance because you're self-employed, or if you have no insurance, it's worthwhile sort of going around through the website and seeing what maybe you can it can do for you. Mm, wonderful. Um, I just uh, wanted to bring up a question that came in uh, earlier on. Um, how much do you think technology is contributing to the hyperinflation of our current medical bill? In other words, medicine 200 years ago was much different and people would just die. <laughs> but the cost of keeping us alive was a fraction of our current situation. Are, are we our own worst enemy? Um, well, I, I say yes and no. Yes, we're our own worst enemy because we have invested a tremendous amount in technology. Uh, those to that technology has a cost associated with it. We're also our worst enemy because as Americans, we've become, we've become expectant of that technology and we haven't learned very well on how to uh, deal particularly with end-of-life issues, where there is a huge cost associated with uh, people in their final years. I don't remember the exact statistics, but it'd be fair to say that, generally speaking, the last five to ten years of an individual's life is by far the most expensive part of it. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, we like the technology. We like the fact that if you have a medical condition in this country that requires rapid intervention, Boom, it's right there all the time. It's ready to go. Um, but that comes with a cost associated with it. We did see getting, you know, dealing with those sort of those geeky charts when we got into the 80s and into the 90s when we did have a technology explosion in medical care, costs continued to escalate maybe a little bit faster. But we are our own worst enemy in a couple different ways. And the technology we have has tremendous benefit for us. The technology we have, everybody wants, everybody wants mm-hmm. to use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really wonderful question, which we could have a number of shows on. There's a lot of moral and ethical uh, issues in that. And like you said, Michael, I mean, when when it happens to you, if there's a technology that can help you, uh, you're very much in favor of it. And yeah. people, people really, as people get more and more involved on the Internet, and learning about medicine and more and more people that are watching Magical Medical Tour and learning about their bodies and learning about health and becoming proactive and preparatory in their uh, health care, uh, they have more knowledge. So they naturally, when they go to their doctors or go to an emergency department, will ask questions pertaining to uh, diagnostic workups and specific treatments. Very good question. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Michael, what, uh, another quick question on the um, on the window of opportunity to sign up. Let's say somebody has insurance; they're working for someone. Something happens; the business collapses, or they get fired after the enrollment period, and suddenly they're without insurance. Will they get fined, or can they then go to the website and start from that point? They can do a couple things. One is they can go to the website and always try to get into the plan with the explanation. But there are certain things that um, allow people exclusions, and one of them is is unemployment. Um, so we spoke a little bit about the um, 
about the penalties involved, but there's also recognition that that type of incident happens. So uh, there's specific provisions at the healthcare.gov healthcare.gov website, it goes through some of the penalties involved and some of the things that you're held harmless on. So the loss of employment is one of them. Um, and you can, you can, at that time, try to get back into the plan. Of course, the, the biggest issue is you may actually qualify for Medicaid or some of the other uh, issues because you have no income. So the, the system's designed. So if you come in and you say, basically, I've only got an employment that's only this much and I've got a family of three, you may, in fact, uh, qualify for Medicaid. One of the things that used to happen with Medicaid is they had a big asset test to see if you've got all these assets and you've got a home and you've got a car and all that, well, you might not qualify because basically you had to burn through those assets, sell them and do all that before you could get on Medicaid. Now there's more of a recognition that as a society, we don't want people to have to sell their homes. We don't have people to sell their cars. So now they can't get around and things like that. So you may in fact qualify for something like Medicaid. But again, there's exclusions and there's the ability of people to not be penalized uh, for certain things because of loss of employment and other, and other instances. We have people out there now that are thinking about this, may have insurance, may not have insurance. Do you recommend that even if you have insurance, you should go to this site? Healthcare? I, I do. Well, I do. I do. I think um, it, it, what's the downside of it? I mean, I think what you have to be is a smart buyer. And what I told people, even in this business, is if uh, put yourself in a little bit different predicament. What we know is that uh, most people get their health care insurance through their employer. Some We've heard of some companies now that turn around and they're now making people go to the health exchange. Some companies are giving you an, an allowance so you can go out and buy your own insurance and things like that. There's some There's some downsides to that because now people are saying things like, well, you know, now people are getting out of the insurance business. On the upside, you've got more and more people enrolling in it, and that spreads spreads the risk amongst everyone. Um, but I do think it's worthwhile if you don't, certainly if you don't have health insurance to do it. You've, you've got to have health insurance come January, so you might as well go online and do it. I've gone through the Covered California website, and I went through just to look at it. But I've always told people, think of it in the sense that if you are covered by your employer's health insurance, and all of a sudden they say, we're not going to do your health insurance anymore, we've got tough economic times, our business is off, so we're not going to do health insurance anymore, where do you even start? How do you even begin? I mean, it's like, it, to a certain extent, it's like buying car insurance. What do you do? You talk to your friends, you find out the, if you've got a good insurance broker, then you're in a good spot. So I think if you have self-insured, if you're, if you're self-employed and you have health insurance through, through a company, not through an employer, but basically through yourself, no harm in checking it out. If you don't have health insurance and you want to go, go to the website, which is healthcare.gov, and you want to look around. Again, one of the questions they'll say is, which state are you in? If you're in California, it will then direct you to the Covered California website. I went through Covered California and found it very easy to select from the different tiers. So when you go there, it's not like, well, here's your healthcare plan. You have a choice between bronze, a couple of different silver plans, a gold, and a platinum. And those different plans are just like anything else. What do you want your deductions to be? So you can have a very, very high deductible. If you're younger and you say, I'm not basically going to get hurt, I'm not going to have problems with my health, you may choose to get rather inexpensive insurance. 
when you get to be an old man like me, you may decide to get one of the silver plans or the gold plans if you're self-employed because you want to have less of an out-of-pocket expense, but you're going to pay more in a premium. The final thing that's really good about this is they ask you some basic questions, and based on your projected income, you may actually get a uh, tax credit, and the tax credit will help you with your premiums. So as a single individual, if I've got a very low income and I'm working in the service industry or something like that, and I'm making $13,000 a year, the federal government will pay part of my premium to make the insurance more affordable. If I get a promotion and make more money or get a new job and make more money, then I let them know that I'm making more money and they'll adjust my premium accordingly. When people go to the site and start looking at it, one of the things that they should know is as part of the pre-existing, a lot of times people, when they fill out an insurance form, they have this fear that they're going to have to admit all these things. They're, in my understanding right now, it's basically your zip code, your age, and uh, do you smoke tobacco or a few other little things like that. Yeah, pretty I'm not simple, even sure. Right? But it's pretty simple. I'm not. I don't, you know, I, I haven't done it in a couple of weeks, but I don't even remember a tobacco question. I remember your own number of dependents and things like that. But it's pretty straightforward, and it throws you into this group, and they say uh, based on your age and wherever where you're at, and we have California broken into regions. Here's the comparison. So I like this because I actually think it does the thing that we should be doing in healthcare and the exchange, as we call it, the health exchange at the federal level and some of the states really causes that competition where you can where you can compare apples to apples. And you can look right across the different plans and you can see what they offer. You can see what the out-of-pocket expenses are. And you can decide whether you want to go with a bronze plan, a silver, gold, or platinum plan. And it, it makes it just very upfront as opposed to think about it right now without that ability. And you're just, you have to go out and get health insurance. Where do you start? What should my deductible be? Do I, you have to call each individual uh, health plan, Blue Shield, Blue Cross, Kaiser, if you want to try to get anything to them, and uh, or any other health plan, Aetna, and on and on and on. And you have to basically create your own table. And if you're good at it, you may put it on a spreadsheet. This is all done for you. And it's just based on those simple, uh, probably not more than, you know, if you looked at it, I, I, you know, maybe eight or eight or 10 questions or something like that. And then when you go to these sites, is it, are these different agencies now? Is it a government agency or is it still Blue Shield and all the usual ones that we see that are now offering these programs? Are we going to see all new names of, of companies or is it the same companies just doing it differently? I, th- I think it's the same companies doing it differently. I can only speak to California. So in our region, which I think is called Region 12 or something really attractive like that, um, which includes Ventura, Santa Barbara, and San Luis Obispo counties, you go there and you've got Blue Shield, Blue Cross, Kaiser, which mainly covers down in the Ventura area. And when the state of California said to the healthcare plans, we want you to put together a proposal, and they broke it down into regions. So now basically what you're doing is you're buying that plan from that insurer off 
basically a controlled market where you can, again, make comparisons. There's been some concerns raised about the, the availability of the provider network. Do they really have contracts with all the providers that they need in order to provide these services? And that still has to be worked out. Remember that the plans only have to start covering in January. So I think they're still negotiating back with some of their existing provider networks. When you say provider, uh, please clarify that. Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry about that. It's physicians. So when, as a healthcare plan, you have to have a network of physicians and specialists and resources, that everything, you know, from radiology to, and with radiology, you know, regular x-rays or CAT scans or MRIs. But you have to basically show the, in this case, the state of California, the Department of Managed Healthcare, your ability to meet what's called network adequacy. In other words, you've got the plans, you've got the premiums all lined up. Do you have the network of physicians and and equipment that you can now provide these services? So there's been some criticism by the physician groups that um, you know there there may not be the network of physicians to to help get these to get new member services, but that's going to be something that they're going to have to address as a as a commercial health plan because it's required of them to make sure that they uh, that they can deliver the services that they promised. So is it possible when uh, people may have to change insurance and they've had a physician that they've liked for a long time that they're going to be on a, on a plan that may take them to another physician, one that they may like more or not? Uh, that is that is one of the things that happens with this, I think, is when if I've got uh, private insurance through my employer and whatever changes, I end up having to go out and get insurance uh, through through the health exchange because I went to uh, healthcare.gov. I looked up the state I'm in that I may have to go to a different physician. And that's a bit of the trade-off. You may be able to go to the same physician. You may have to go to a different network. If you've got um, insurance company X at work and what, for whatever reason you have to get your own, you may have to go to insurance company Y. And as we all know, you know, physicians don't accept all insurances. So you may have to, in fact, change it. And in fact, though, if you had no insurance, you probably had no physician. So this will at least be a bonus here. When, exactly. when you come to the site and you sign up within the time and you get your insurance, uh, can you change it at any point if suddenly, like I think you said before, if you make more money, you can go to a higher plan or you could change and go to another plan? How does that work? Yeah, I'm not sure that you can go back in and change your plans once you've made that selection because you simply don't uh, like it. So I don't know the ability to change or switch plans or you know, you've got the, you went to the exchange and you purchased this product through insurance company X, you now decide you don't like them. So you want to go to insurance company Y. Uh, I'm not sure the ability to do that. That'd be a good question when you do the enrollment. But again, the, the issue is that um, you, you, you generally, even as an employee uh, that gets healthcare through its employer, I can't go mid, mid-year and decide that I should have gotten a different plan and I want to just change it. That's usually not uh, allowed. There's usually certain triggers uh, that happens. You know, my I'm currently covering my uh, 22-year-old daughter. She goes out and gets a job and gets her own insurance, and I decide that I may want to now not have to cover. I'm allowed to make certain changes, but I just can't go in and just say, I don't like this one. I want to get a different one type thing. 
that's pretty standard, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not sure of a lot of employee-based systems that let you do that. Mm-hmm. The, the concept of people saying now, I can't aff- I'd love to have health insurance, but I can't afford it. That's what this is about. So people shouldn't have to worry about that. They should look at, they should at least look at the site, even if they believe they can't afford it based on past experiences. That's what this is about, correct? Absolutely. The, the whole push of this is that exact population of, you know, I'm, I'm married, I've got a child or two, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm self-employed and I can't afford the health insurance coverage that I should have. Or I've got a plan, but it's so expensive that basically I, never be, I can never meet my deductible because I've got a $10,000 a year out of pocket, whatever the case is. It doesn't hurt to look around and say for myself and my family, you know, my my dependent or my my partner and our two dependents, uh, this is what I currently have. But if I went to the exchange, wow, I could get it at this and I could maybe lower my deductibles because I could either go with a bronze plan that has a high deductible, a lot of out of pocket, or I can move up into the silver plans, which has a lower deductible. So you know, I still may be on the hook for the first initial costs, but at some point there's sort of a stopgap where you're protected and you don't have these massive out-of-pockets. And of course you can move all the way up to the platinum level. If you live in a in this country, but you're from another country and you're not a citizen of this country yet, but you're working here and you're planning on staying here, uh, is there anything in this where they can apply for this type of insurance? I I believe right now my understanding is that this is geared specifically for U.S. citizens. Obviously, as a policy matter, it's the discussion about how much can you cover and who can you cover. And you're also trying to get it through a political process where that would, um, I mean, in in all reality, that's a hot-button topic of are we going to now provide – uh, for lack of a better term, even subsidized tax, uh, tax uh, care or, or uh, health care through tax systems to people who aren't here uh, as a U.S. citizen. So this is really geared towards U.S. citizens. And let me just mention on that line, what happens is, so Michael Harris goes on the exchange, I report my income, I then get a, a what's called a tax credit from the U.S., which is sort of looks like a subsidy, but it's not quite, and I'll explain why. What happens at the end of the year is when I report my taxes through my tax filing, then um, my, my income should match up with what I reported on the health exchange. If I got a pay increase, I may owe some of that money back, and that will be done through my taxes. So if I'm getting a refund, I may get a little bit less of a refund. If I owe taxes, I'm going to owe more taxes. So it's important that people that that go to the exchange and report their income and then get these. That's why it's called a tax credit, because the federal government is saying, basically, we're going to help you with your uh, premium. But when you file your taxes, it's going to all come back into whether you've been truthful or not. And if you've got a big increase and didn't report it to us, you're going to have a tax problem because you're going to owe taxes back through your tax through your tax process. And again, that's another exemption is some people make such little amount of money that um, they're not going to have to worry about that. But for some people who make um, a, 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 an amount of money where they file their taxes and they're getting this, uh, for lack of a better term, subsidy, that's where it's going to. That's where the push is going to come. And that actually is where the fine comes in. Also, you don't get a fine really. It's a tax 
Correct. You've got, to have right. a government, you've got to have a government mechanism that collects the money from people. And in this system, it's done through the IRS. And we know the you know the some of the some of the concerns raised in Washington about the IRS getting involved in this type of uh, this type of business. But again, the laws that currently stands, you filed your taxes, you report your income, and um, you you make a report. And I don't recall offhand, but it seems like last time I filed my taxes, there was a question about whether you have insurance. And I think it was part of that the, the health insurance. I think it was probably the start of their ability to validate. My daughter went to school in Massachusetts and I had to attest and show her proof of health insurance. And Massachusetts, when, when Governor Romney was there, was the first big start of the health care coverage uh, in which now with this expansion, they're looking at, at, at a real, real possibility of 97 or 98% of their population being covered with health insurance. Well, Christina, any questions? You represent every person. <laughs> of course. And <laughs> so you must have an every person well, question. I'm like my community. <laughs> um, I, I do have a question because I'm, I've been immersed in the past year and a half in inner city. And uh, a lot of landed immigrants and a lot of people from other countries, uh, namely Asian countries and a lot of the South American countries, you know, a lot of these people who've come uh, from these other countries, you know, they have a lot of fear, of course, and we're trying to get them, help them out and help guide them. Now, in this case, what if they are considered like landed immigrants? They are waiting for their citizenships or to come through. Um, are are they also able to um, be a part of this system, this healthcare system? Christina, that's a, that's a good question because I'm not totally sure. I think it's worth them investigating it. Mm-hmm. But I think my if you ask me to place a bet, I would tell you that my bet is... Um, and I don't believe that they'll be covered. That this, and some of that is again, as we talked about, that's a little bit on the political side. And remember, the uh, politics isn't necessarily a bad thing because you have to sort of pick your battles. And this is a massive change in the healthcare system in this country. And as such, you had to pick the battle in which you want to say that you want to make sure that every American citizen has access to healthcare. If you stretched it beyond people who are American citizens, then you start to run into a bigger uh, section of the American public who is who's we've all heard raises the issue about people immigrating here sometimes illegally mm-hmm. as an immigrant myself. I'm empathetic to people moving into this country, but um, you know, there's always this thing of people come here sometimes illegally because they're looking for you know the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which, as we all know, if you if you deal with people uh, often, as I did with public health, that pot of gold isn't really there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say right now that people can check into it, but they should probably go on the assumption that they're probably going to still have to get private insurance, that mm-hmm. this healthcare expansion may not be available for them as a non-U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. At this time. At this time. <laughs> yes, but well, again, it is a huge... You know, again, it's, it's, and it's interesting because one is a political model and another is a business model. And yes. the, the business model would say the more people you can get into this, the better you could spread your risk. But mm-hmm. again, the politics is 
I would only guess that the vast majority of the American public would say this is an American healthcare system and you need to guide it towards American citizens at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of the reality of the political world we live in. Sure, sure. It's it's part of the shift and it's a really big one right now. <laughs> well, I think there's still resources there. You know, for the people, you know, part of the problem in California is the governor administration has taken back what's a lot of money um, from the counties. Mm. In California, the counties run local state programs, and the governor's office and the state have taken back literally millions of dollars. I want to say something along $300 million Mm. from the counties because they're making the assertion that nobody will be left that should be uninsured. Mm. That money was for people uninsured. The reality at the county level is that you're still providing care to whomever walks into your clinic. Mm-hmm. And these clinics are called federally, federally qualified health centers or FQHCs. And part of their responsibility is to see whomever will show up at their door, legal, illegal. And the reality is, as public health, is you want to reduce everybody's diseases and communicable diseases and health care because Glenn, as an emergency physician, still has people, regardless of immigration status, show up in his emergency department at three o'clock in the morning because they've got a health problem because they have no access to health care. So you sort of have to separate the two in its own right of an immigration policy versus a health care policy. And they're they're certainly related, but they're on different tracks. And as a health care policy, um, you, you really want to make sure that you're getting uh, people that are here to be healthy because ultimately you and I as mm-hmm. consumers, taxpayers pay for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I have to admit they, they, they do in these inner city schools, they do have dental and everything covered. So that that's huge. And it's, oh, that's huge. It was, I was very surprised when I saw that it was like, wow, that's, that's a great step, you know, uh, of service to the, to the children you know, sure, of, sure. of these generations. So thank you. It's, it's really a different, it's a difficult predicament because you've got a political policy, like I said, over immigration. Then you've got a health policy, which is you don't turn people away because they've got a nasty cough and they're coughing and coughing. And yet you turn them away because they're, they're here illegally. Mm-hmm. And what you've just done is turn away somebody with active tuberculosis. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you have to, you have to look at that in that limelight and, um, and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We did have a comment that came in, which was a very positive one. Uh, yes, the uh, California website is very easy to use when it is up and running. Yeah, it's 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 a fair criticism, I think. I, you know, we said we laughed because we always said, you know, what they should we should have done and what they should should. And we said this months ago is you know, contract with Netflix or Amazon because those <laughs> people, you know, I don't know what I do without Amazon or Netflix, but. Yeah, I think it's 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 clearly I think any like anything like this, which is a massive technical undertaking, uh, it's going to have its glitches. Mm-hmm. I would just encourage people to keep trying. There's also one eight hundred number on their website. Call into there. Uh, be patient. You know, they they only hired the people that are working in these call centers probably a month and a half or so ago. They started the hiring. It requires background checks. It requires fingerprinting to work in these because they're dealing with confidential information, and you don't want people stealing that information. So, um, be patient. I completely agree. The Covered California website has had some problems. It's doing better than the healthcare.gov website that the feds have. Uh, but they they both have uh, some improvements to make on that. Mm, thank you. 
We need Segovia working for the government to fix it. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, Netflix is here's your health policy and what movie do you want for the next couple of weeks? <laughs> there you go. Well, that would be Segovia's direction, yes. <laughs> We're speaking with Michael Harris, Director of Government Affairs at CenCal Health. And Michael, you've always been involved in public health policy to protect and serve the public. So even as an administrator, I'm sure that you have a health tip for us. I, I do. I think, you know, even today, um, there's a new study out that says sedentary life. So if you're somebody like uh, us that gets up early in the morning, goes to the gym on the way to the office or goes to the gym after work, the fact that we sit behind desks, the fact that we've become very sedentary um, is, is it has been and even shows that sitting behind a desk all day and not moving around uh, can be as bad for you as smoking. I think it's, it's my, the key word I would just throw to everybody is moderation. You don't need to be the uh, ultra marathoner, but you do need to be out there and you need to get out and walk at night. Um, my fondest memories are walking with the kids during the, during the sunset and just walk around our neighborhood. Um, I would say that moderation, moderation in what you eat, moderation in exercise and just get out there and move. I think that's great. I always add for myself, everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> and all I you've say got to, is, you've got to live. And all I say is, get a little bouncy ball, and you keep everything moving, even when you're at your desk. <laughs> exactly. That's true, exactly. Christina. I think we should mention uh, that uh, we are possibly going to be up for an award with uh, podcasts for Magical Medical Tour and Trinity of Life. Uh, is there anything we could tell people about that? Uh, well, yes, uh, hopefully we will be nominated. And uh, once we're nominated, then we go on to a level of voting. And that's when we need as many people as possible to send in their votes. And and I have to say that you can only vote once, so you can only nominate once. So uh, somewhere on our site, um, if if we get nominated, then we will be, of course, sending out a newsletter and mentioning it on our shows to vote now. <laughs> and if you would like to nominate us for a podcast award, you can go to www.podcastawards.com and uh, just put in Magical Medical Tour and the, the, the website address, yogahub.tv, um, and then you can put in your information and submit, and we would appreciate that. Yes, of course. Yeah, we would love that. I'm grateful to our very special guest, Michael Harris, for sharing his wisdom and expertise with us uh, to help us on our journey. Certainly, this was important today, uh, I think, for everybody's journey. I'd like to also thank uh, my teachers and healers for allowing me to be on my journey. So as we uh, close today, I look forward to meeting with you and Christina again next week as we surge another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. But until that time, I would like to say thank you, Michael Harris, and to all of our guests and viewers, I wish you all optimal health. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael Harris. That was a nice load of juicy information that we can all use. Oh my gosh, there's been so much confusion. And thank you for helping us sort of sort it out and have a better understanding. Thank Since you. I don't usually have time to listen to the news, you have been, <laughs> you've completely filled me up for the week. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can only imagine. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
And of course, thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman, um, for being such a fabulous host and uh, Segovia Smith and the Yogab team for making this possible. And of course, to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. May I remind you that you can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by following him on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course through his own site glennwoolman.com, where I urge you to learn about his metaphor, square breath. And of course, you can connect with all the wonderful work that Michael Harris is doing at sencalhealth.org, sencalhealth.org. Again, we're grateful for your continuous support and feedback. Please give us a call with any suggestions or comments at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. YHTV's Trinity of Life. Come join me, Christina Suzama, as I journey to find the many modalities that support individuals, from children to adults to elders, with topics ranging from health and wellness, meditation, and inspirational stories. I invite you to visit yogahub.tv every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern.